Here's another inspiring speech recorded at Communities in Control, Australia's biggest and best annual community sector gathering. I'd like to acknowledge Father Joe Caddy from Centrecare, Rhonda Galbally, without whom a day like this just couldn't happen. And I also understand that Joan Kerner's here, the former Premier of Victoria. Fantastic to be talking about issues I know that Joan's campaigned on for a long time. It is a pleasure to be here. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land, the Wurundjeri people, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to say that you're actually meeting in the electorate of Maribyrnong, so I'm the local member of parliament here too. And in fact, I used to be the union organiser at this racetrack. Um, uh, and I've only ever stopped the races here once. The, um, I'm very sorry. Um, Communities in Control is a great name, and I think it's a great vision. You heard this morning from uh, my senior colleague, Jenny Macklin, about the vital initiatives which we're looking at in a range of areas to do with the putting communities back in control. Um, but what I want to do is I want to talk to you particularly about disability. And if anything was needed to underscore the importance of reframing the debate about disability in Australia, it's today's um, sensationalist attack on people on the disability support pension. I don't know if you're aware, but the, the Daily Telegraph led a story about someone who's... Uh, the implication would be clear to be ripping off the system. But what annoys me is that 99.9% .9 of people on the disability support pension do not want to be on that pension. They would rather not have the impairment in their daily struggles. So there's something going on which, you know, we all collectively need to unite around and it's about redefining and reconceptualising disability in our community. You know, as politicians, we often hold ourselves up to be the fond of knowledge, but I think we all know that isn't the case. I mean, what I see about politics in the future is it reflects what's been happening in the past, that people all too often are ahead of business and ahead of government and ahead of politicians. People and communities are often leading the way seeking to ensure that communities and people within them have better lives. I mean, that's, that's why it was so interesting to be part of the apology to the stolen generation, which was, um, uh, you know, it was amazing because for all of the carry-on of the political climate of the previous 11 years, you'd have thought that uh, the sky would fall in when an apology was given. You know, you'd thought that um, the government's coffers would be raided, there'd be rioting, I mean, there were some who would be saying that, you know, the, the nature of Australian society would be fundamentally altered if we did make an apology to the stolen generations. But in fact, most people thought the event became bigger than the individuals involved. And I thought it was cathartic. It was more like watching the steam rise off the ground after, uh, you know, the, the weather changes for the better. I thought that what we actually saw is that at last government caught up to where people were at and I think the overwhelming sensation, one of the overwhelming sensations of that day, is people actually said, well, why did it take so long? What was the fuss all about at the end of the day? So this is why, I, the reason why I talk about that is because I actually think it's a very strong metaphor for disability. Why does it take so long to do something about an issue, which once we actually do something about, people will say, why did it take that long? And I think that's where we are at. We have an opportunity in politics today 
and your conference is part of this, we have an opportunity to be at one of those, well, what was the fuss about sort of moments in politics? I mean, if you, I started off talking about newspaper reports about the disability support pension. And um, the inference was that, you know, it's doubled since uh, Paul Keating lost to John Howard. It was about 500,000 people receiving the DSP. Now it's somewhere around 728,000 people. And no other statistic in 12 years has moved that level of increase, a 50% increase. No other demographic statistic of the nation. But does that mean, therefore, that we've got a lot more bludgers? Of course it doesn't. What it actually means is that the system of welfare to work has proved to be act, achieved the exact opposite of what its uh, parents used to try and say it would achieve. The, it's, the opposite it's achieved is you can't run a welfare system which gives people dignity by fear. You can't run a system by coercion. There's a reason why people who are disabled aren't working. It's because the rest of the community won't give them jobs. That's where I think this debate's at. I mean, Brendan O'Connor, Minister for Employment, Participation and I are co-hosting a strategy to look at how we get people who are disabled the opportunity to participate in the community. And this is where I think it is at. Participation doesn't have to be wearing a tie, it doesn't have to be a nine to five job, but some form of engagement, in my opinion, in the education system, in the, in the, in the work system, but not so much that um, people are off a particular welfare pension, but much rather because the, what we seek in our society is dignity for all Australians. And work does bestow a style of dignity. But the problem is there are too many barriers to this. I mean, I have to say that um, as recently as last Wednesday night, I was in Coburg uh, with Kelvin Thompson. He's the member for Wills. And we had a forum. There were 45 people there. It wasn't quite the battleship event that this is, Rhonda. But nonetheless, um, it was great. Lots of people with disabilities, sector workers, carers, people interested in the debate about people with disabilities. It was a community trying to assert some control. During those two and a half hours, 19 different people made a number of interventions and comments. And it was a great rundown of the issues which face people with disability that I believe I've received in six months of being in the job. An apology to any of the faxier, hard-working public servants, but for pure cutting to the chase, these 45 people in Coburg nailed a lot of what I think the key issues are. So if you're curious about what a new government spokesperson on disability thinks, and if I'm to address, you know, the topic of, you know, what are the next stages in terms of disability in, in communities, access, both transport and buildings. The UN Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities and, and dealing with all of the clauses. And the Treaties Committee has dealt with that issue in Parliament this morning, so the UN Convention is marching forward. Centrelink. You know, I got asked on the radio today, well, how do we find out if there are people cheating? Well, I said, you know, I said, well, if you've been blind, oh, and then the question went on, you know, what if people, when, when people get better, what happens? Well, so that's a good thing if you get better. But the point about it is, if you've been blind, I'm not sure why you need to tell Centrelink every two years, still not seeing anything. Um, If you are a parent with a child with cerebral palsy, it is, in my opinion, 
insulting every two years to say, Jack or Jill still, you know, got the same condition. Um, it was talk about early intervention, and this is something which the government's right into, from uh, Julia Gillard to Maxine McHugh, right across all the portfolios, Jenny Macklin. There was talk about the need for lifelong planning. Why do government departments have such silos which leave people stranded between departments and between levels of government? <laughs> Supported accommodation's crucial. You know, if you look at some of the traditional equity groups, in no particular order, women, Indigenous Australians, people who live in remote parts of Australia, people from a non-English speaking background, people who are disabled. Well, my group, we generally come bottom of the league table on every issue. From, in and I'm not trying to have a misery contest, but the point about it is on income, education, housing, the aspects which give you control over your life. People with disabilities are at the bottom of the tables all too frequently. Other issues, business services, support people working in supported wage facilities, the transition to open employment. Why can't people with disabilities, perhaps severe disabilities who work in business services and supported accommodation, why can't they retire? What happens to people when they grow old? The possibility of insurance for catastrophic injury, the rights of disabled motorists, all of the issues around the disability support pension, the mobility allowance, the idea that you have a mobility allowance, if you go to a supported uh, business service, a supported wage facility, you get a smaller allowance than if you go to open employment. That's lucky that the buses give you the, the bigger discount. Um, young people in nursing homes getting age-appropriate accommodation. The issue of loneliness. People with disabilities allowed to have friends. And it goes to this whole issue of quality of life. You know, a disability policy in the future should start from the statement that all people deserve equal treatment, all people deserve the right to the longest possible life full of quality. Then what government has to do is have a whole of government approach about disability. I mean, I, you know, I've been doing a fair bit of work with Jenny Macklin on autism lately, and I just look at the clunkiness of, the, of what happens. First of all, you get your diagnosis. That in itself is pretty big news. Then you've got to get uh, your multi, then you've got to get a diagnosis. Uh, once you've got your diagnosis, then you've got to get early intervention. And you know, hopefully the government will be making some comments about greater resources in that in the next week or two. But then you go to school, a new department, fantastic. Then you've got to work out, find a school which is good on integration. Then you've got to you know, work through the definition of the education department about what is, qualifies your child for integration, aid and support. Then you go to the secondary system, you know, you fall off another, you know, the old 14th century Catholic church. Oh, sorry, Joe. We would... No, I'm on our team too. Um, but, you know, back then we said the world was flat, just one of the sort of little issues we get over. Um, and, you know, they worry if you sail too far, you, sail, you fall off the end of the earth. Well, that's what happens every time people in disability progress through their life. They do fall off the end of the earth. You know, from early intervention, diagnosis, early interventions, primary school, secondary school, then, then heaven forbid, you might actually want to get a job, as opposed to just sitting on the banana round, lounge sipping daiquiris on the disability support pension. <laughs> um, or you might have to be in daycare, or you might actually want to educate yourself further. And so on it goes. Yeah. And these are big questions. And this is, unless disability is addressing the big questions, 
governed by this view that you're a human being and you want to have a whole life of opportunity until we, uh, but currently we're just these, again to use the 14th century analogy, there's like those turreted tower cities in northern Italy where families all just built big towers and they never really talk to each other. Um, and that's where I think it's at. Um, I mean, and, but one of the things which we have to look at when we talk about this issue of disability and some of the, some of the issues which I've referred to, of course there's many more, is we've got what, our, what I think is the, the real fundamental bedrock challenge in disability, it's this. Impairment is a fact of life. And as you get older, chances are more, more of us are going to join the ranks of people with impairment. It's a fact. It's a fact of functioning. What isn't a fact of life is disability. And you might say, where's he going with this point? It's this. You can have an impairment, but it's the society which disables you. And I think that's a very, this is a very important wake-up call for me to understand that point. Um, when I was given the, this privilege of uh, working with Rhonda and also working with disability, um, you know, I thought I'd seen unfair treatment of people in my old job. But oh yeah, okay, another set of problems. Check the time and wages books, or we'll find out the problem. We'll go to the law. We'll assert what's right, and then that's it. End of story. Home for tea. Um, but. You know, the reality is the systemic entrenched second-class status of people with disability in Australia is obscene, it's, um, it's real, and it's more fundamental than, I think, most problems that I've seen so far. Uh, I've met, I believe, thousands of people now with disability, their families, carers, people who work in the community. You know, I'm overawed by the commitment, the intelligence and the passion of people with disability and the people who work alongside them. Um, but what I do find a little odd is that, you know, the Australian society at large, we love the little battler doing well. From the Tats Lotto winning ticket through to the small business person who becomes a big business person. You know, the, the battling athlete, beautiful. We love that story of the underdog. Yet here we are, we've got a whole group of people who have underdog status. And somewhere along the line, politics hasn't embraced that. The media hasn't embraced it. Sure, there's the individual stories of triumph and hope, and that's fantastic. And it's always difficult. I don't want to write a, give you a story which says I'm a pessimist because I'm not a pessimist, I'm an optimist. But there's no point in exaggerating to ourselves. And there has been progress made over the last 20, 30, 40 years. I get all of that. I'm respectful of all of that. Just like the rest of the new government, we don't come... It didn't come to Canberra one day and say, oh, we found this shiny new issue and no-one's ever thought about it before. Clearly people have. All of you have. You wouldn't be here if you haven't given of your time, your commitment, your careers and far in excess of what you're paid for to be here to do these things. But I do think that disability is at the bottom of the league table when it comes to fairness, and we've got to do something about it. I mean, if you couldn't get a job in Australia, or if you couldn't get transport, if you couldn't get education, if you couldn't get meaningful and dignified income support, if you couldn't get it, all these things, which we take for granted because of your gender or your skin colour, people would say this is wrong. That might still happen, but when the torch gets exposed, the torch lights on and people say, this is wrong. The natural generosity of Australian people rises to the fore. They shake their heads and say, no, this is not right. And that's a legitimate reaction. But what I've discovered is that if you can't access decent education, if you can't access in income security, if you can't access home ownership numbers equivalent to society as a whole, or if you can't access work because you have a mental illness, or you've got a history of workers' comp claims, or because, in fact, you just have a disability, 
if, 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 if these are the reasons why you can't do it because you have a disability, it doesn't seem to create the same level of anger at the, in the community at large. And I'm puzzled by the invisibility of disability. I mean, I, uh, I do think it's down to a couple of things. And one of them is, is the cyclical nature of ideas in the history of our society. The whole constant tension in the development of our nation between reform and the status quo. And I have a look at the disability movement and it seems to have had moved in stops and starts. You get the UN, you get the International Year of People with Disability to the Disability Discrimination Act and you do get reforms, good ones. But there's a lot of status quo, if not indeed regression. Now I think the whole nation, that's the history of the nation, full stop. Uh, we have periods and decades in our society and history where things get done. That period from Federation to 1914, wow, a lot. We nation-build. And of course you have a war, that's an, an amazing status quo situation. Um, we, you know, but then again, after World War II, there was expansion in the idea of what it is, you know, the, the imagination and depth of Australia. Again, in the time of Whitlam, you have big periods of status quo in between. Again, when Bob Hawke and Paul Keating and they opened up the economy and they future-proofed aspect, a big part of the economy. Then we've had the last 11 years of uh, narcolepsy. Um, <laughs> the point about it is, reform is not a preordained outcome. Reform doesn't just happen. I do believe Australians are generous. I do believe they're interested in making the world a better place. But if we are reformers, which we are, I believe, in this room, then we have to understand that reform has to be constantly battled for. We can never take it for granted. And this is, I think, at the nub of our challenge in disability, to move people from second-class status. A famous American football coach said, um, victory isn't measured in yards, it's measured in inches. Certainly this has to be the case for us in disability, not for where we want to be, but for our desperation to fight for everything that we can get. If we do not fight for things, then we cannot expect reform to occur. And I see that this is the real challenge here, and this is the challenge which I have for myself in politics here, is that let us not do the things which would have been done even if we weren't here. Some things will happen. The challenge for us is to do things which, but for our presence here, would not happen. And this but-for test, I think, is crucial in politics and it's crucial in reform. But for our intervention, would this be happening? That, to me, is what distinguishes great governments from managerial governments. I think all the signs are there for us to be a great government, but I'd love to see disability as one of those great issues, where when, if we were all to meet again in 10 years' time, we could look back and say, remember that period where things really got going? where we demanded the rights of people with disability, not better rights than anyone else, but rather that no one else should have any better rights than people with disabilities. I think this is a very basic and powerful formula. I mean, we see, even in question time in Parliament, the uh, fulcrum of democracy, um, there's been two questions on disability by the government, and even one, dare I say it, by the opposition. That's great. I mean, we're not surprised when there are two questions about sport in a week. That's important. We're not... I didn't even mean that to be funny then, but... Because um, <laughs> I was then going to say, we're not surprised if we talk about the Sydney, which is important, finding that. 
I'm a little surprised the, the opposition so fixed. The Liberal Party is now the party of alco, low price alco pop. Um, but I can understand that and few watch. These are issues of the day and they're important issues. But what's been great is there were two questions in the last week on disability. What are we doing on the UN Convention? Fantastic. Fantastic. What are we doing in supported accommodation? Jenny Macklin took the question. I mean, this is, I have to say, that each one of us has a role to be a partisan for our point of view. And our point of view has to be one of persistency and consistency about equal rights, equal treatment, empowerment of people with disabilities. What we need to do is make disability a mainstream issue. I mean, I think we can make it, and it does come down to that basic test I said before. There ain't people with disability who've got to change. It's the community's got to change their attitudes to people with disability. You know, yeah. We've got to do a lot in the workplace. You know, I was on the radio before and this chap was saying, well, why are there so many people on the DSP? I said, well, imagine you're going for a job interview. Would you write down that you suffer episodic or you have episodic mental illness? I don't know if I would. Would you write down that if you're, you know, you've been out of work for 10 years, uh, you're a migrant, you've had a workers' comp claim, you get a chance to do some work, would you fill in your whole workers' comp history? If you had to. I mean, the point about it is it's attitudes in the workplace we need to change. It's not just the attitudes of employers, it's employees. It's also the attitude of government. We have fallen away as employers of people with disability. From the mid-90s to the most recent figures, it's half the number of people with disabilities working in the federal government. How can we give anyone else a lecture if we don't live the dream ourselves? Now, I do think that Australians at large are up for an argument on disability and up for a proposition. But I do think that it's up to us to enable other people. We need new allies in the debate on disability. We need to reach out to business and get them focused, not just on charity, but get them focused on that people with an impairment are an investment. And that the more you invest in people, the more likely you are to get something out of people. That in fact, as part of living in a, in a complex community. The future belongs to organisations across the world who cope well with diversity, they're the early adapters. They're the ones who will get in and create opportunities. At the core of diversity, in my opinion, is disability. And the more that an organisation can have a diverse workforce, including people with impairment, the more likely that organisation, in my opinion, is to be a successful organisation. And we need to engage. Government is 25% of the GDP, the federal government. But the other 70% plus of the GDP, the, 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 the economic activity of Australia, that's the private sector, so we need new allies in disability. We also need to be a lot clearer in our message. I'm not able to arbitrate every issue of micro-politics in the disability community. Not that these debates aren't important, but that ain't really my role. My role is to be an enabler of the voice of people with disability to be heard. And that's where we move the game forward. Friends, I, I know that we can do a lot, but I do believe at the core of a disability strategy rests the goal of forming a national disability strategy, which is what we're working on. Um, it rests at the core of bringing together new allies. It rests upon making the performance, the KPI benchmark I set for the disability debate in Australia, is that there is a debate about disability in Australia. What I believe is important is having disability at the front of the newspapers, not just on heroic mountain climbers who might have an impairment, as great as, you know, that's worthy. 
not just on the question you might have a few scallywags rorting the system, but rather it's just expected that, you know, at the centre of our culture, unless disabled people are at the centre of our culture, then we're failing as a culture. You know, if we don't do well in the Olympics and we don't, and if Luxembourg pounds us in the swimming pool, oh, I wouldn't want to, you know, terrible. Not my fault, but, you know, it'll be... Um, or if Norway and Scandinavia could beat us at hockey, we, or we go, you know, we'd be very upset. Or cricket. But that's what they do every day when it comes to social inclusion of people with disabilities. And what I want to do is make us as angry that we might be if the Norwegians, the Vikings, robbed us of a, you know, a close game of whatever. We should be angry that they're robbing us of the title of the best nation on earth for rights of people with disability. I think that your conference is a great idea. I cannot believe the number of people here. That is fantastic. There's power in numbers. There is power in numbers. There's power in ideas. But um, I guess my message to conclude about disability is that each argument, each debate, each great reform in Australia has the time, a time when things are right. I think we're on the edge of a time of reform of disability. Now, do I think the national mood will automatically say no worries? No, I think it's, it's there, but I do think that we need to do a lot more to push it through. It's almost as if there's a door which if we have the political will to open the door and go to a new era, then we can. And what we have to do in this room is we have to convince everyone else not in this room to respect people with impairment, to give them the opportunities, and then people with impairment, they'll do the rest. Thanks very much. We hope you've enjoyed this highlight from the community's In Control Library. If you did, we'd love you to rate or review this podcast in the iTunes Store and for you to share it with your friends. For further information about Communities in Control, visit communitiesincontrol.com.au.